The FDF podcast is sponsored by Clark Energy, sustainably powering the food and drink sectors. I'm Joanne Burns, Reformulation for Health Manager at FDF Scotland. The Reformulation for Health programme is funded by the Scottish Government to support Scottish SME food manufacturers to reformulate commonly consumed products by reducing fat, salt or sugar and calories, enriching products with fibre and fruit and veg, and by replacing ingredients with healthier alternatives. This podcast is the next in the reformulation series, supporting food and drink industry to make their products healthier. Today, we'll be discussing salt reduction solutions, and we'll be discussing the role of salt in food manufacturing, the current intake targets, the impact of consuming too much salt, as well as looking at how food manufacturers can decrease salt content and support consumers to meet the recommended intake targets. I'm delighted to be joined today by Sonia Pombo from Action and Salt. Welcome, Sonia. Hello. Thanks for having me. We're also joined by two amazing Scottish businesses that are leading the way in salt reduction. So we have Greg Waters from Peacock Salts. Hello. Thank you for having me. And we're also delighted to be joined by Keith Patterson from Shore Seaweed. Good afternoon. Good to be here. Thank you. Now, so salt and sodium, what's the difference? And this is something that we are we are often asked. Salt is the chemical compound of sodium chloride. And sodium is simply one of the elements found within salt. To calculate the value of salt, you simply have to multiply sodium value by 2.5. Now, for all we're talking today about reducing um, salt and sodium, sodium actually is an essential component of our diet. The body cannot live without sodium, and we require small amounts of it to conduct nerve impulses, contract and relax our muscles, including our heart and blood vessels, and to maintain the proper balance of water and minerals across our body. But as we're all aware, people in general are consuming too much. And here to explain the dangers of overconsumption is Sonia from Action and Salt. Now, Sonia, as I said, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Do you mind explaining a little bit about your work and what it is you do? Yeah, sure. No problem. So um, I work for a charity called Action on Salt. I'm um, by qualification. I'm a nutritionist um, and the bulk of our work is looking around um, trying to reach a consensus with both the food industry and the government to um, to adopt this policy of reformulation whereby we can reduce population salt intakes and improve public health all round. Um, you, you mentioned quite nicely, you know, the fact that we do need a certain level of sodium, which we normally find in things like table salt, sodium chloride. We need that for our bodies to survive and to thrive, but we are all eating far more than what is actually needed. And that's putting our health uh, at, at, at great risk of, of poor health outcomes. Thanks, Sonia. Now, you mentioned there about kind of poor health outcomes and, and the risks of consuming excessive levels of salt. Do you mind going into that in a little bit more detail? What kind of things would people be experiencing if they'd consumed excessive salt? Yeah, so it's it's I should also make it clear it's not like, you know, just eating too much salt in one on one particular day or in one particular meal. It's this gradual and excessive consumption throughout our lifetime of having too much salt that's typically found in, 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 in all sorts of, of food. And that's putting quite a lot of strain on our blood vessels and, and our organs. It's been linked to um, all sorts of complications. For example, uh, it increases the risk of things like kidney stones and kidney disease. Uh, it's also been shown to have links with increased risk of uh, osteoporosis because it kind of like leaches the calcium out of our bones. 
And it's also been linked to things like stomach cancer and to a certain extent to obesity. But the greatest evidence has has linked it to um, to to increasing our raising our blood pressure, um, which is quite a quite a difficult message to put across because it's not really something that people measure on a regular basis, um, but is actually quite a common condition that we all that we all seem to, to, to have. So raising having to, having a high blood pressure puts us at increased risk of um, uh, suffering from a stroke or a heart attack. And these are two of the biggest causes of death and illness in the world. I think many people will be aware from public health campaigns and things like that, that we should be con- aiming to consume no more than six grams of salt a day. But do you mind just kind of breaking down roughly for people listening um, where that salt's coming from in terms of kind of what we're adding at home or what we're buying and things? Yes. So the recommendations that we have here in the UK are that we should eat no more than six grams of salt maximum per day. And that's Mm -hmm. for adults, even less for children. And for those people, six grams may not sound like a lot and it actually isn't. It's around one level teaspoon um, of salt, salt and that's total salt. So it's not just what we may perhaps be adding to our own food ourselves when we're cooking or, or seasoning at the table. Um, this is all salt, including those that's already found in foods. And that's, I think, something that people don't necessarily realise that in actual fact, a lot of our total salt intake is already added in the foods that we buy. Um, in fact, about 75% is already added in. That could be That could be anything, really. It could be from, you know, the kind of um, ready meals that you buy in supermarkets down to like basic ingredients like bread and cheese uh, or the foods that you're um, you know buying when you eat out in a restaurant or get a takeaway. Yeah and I think that's exactly why reformulation is really so important when we look at salt reduction um, given that I think it might even be slightly higher than 75% now from, from recent studies that um, that amount of salt is contained within the food that people are buying so they've got no option to alter that so that's why it's really down to the industry to be looking for um some of these salt solutions to help take some of that kind of hidden salt away um now the industry itself i think has worked amazingly well over the last 20 or so years i think it was about 2004 that the sacking recommendations for six grams a day came into force and since then we've had four other voluntary salt reduction targets and we obviously now have the new salt reduction targets that were issued in september 2020 so, do you mind giving, if, if you're able, a brief overview of the new salt reduction targets and how they're slightly different from the previous ones? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, as you've mentioned, this is now the fifth iteration of the targets. The first lot of salt targets um, were set in 2006, uh, and it's a really comprehensive list of different food categories with, uh, for the most part, they each have an av- a sales-weighted average and a maximum target for companies to work towards. Uh, So these targets are um, the whole salt reduction program is a voluntary program and it's a recommendation from the government um, for the food industry to work towards. Uh, And the way it works is that they have set these targets and each iteration has um, gradual reductions in the amount of salt that they're requesting these food products have. Um, So I think this latest set has around 84 specific food groups. So it's, as I mentioned, quite quite uh, comprehensive and it's had eight new additional targets this time around they include things like um like ready meals popcorn some some snack foods in there as well because we've seen a rise in snacking so you've got some popcorn uh, categories in there flavored nuts 
um, some chili uh, chili sauce and some dips and, as well as other condiments as well. So it's it's great to see this kind of um, these additional categories coming in and that they're not reducing them or, or kind of broadening them. In fact, they're you know adding more and more products because they're seeing the kind of um, the contribution that they're having to population salt intakes and they've seen for quite some time some of these categories have been kind of exempt from the targets thus far um, and so you're now starting to see this these these differences between uh, companies and food products that have had salt reduced gradually over time these products that perhaps haven't um, haven't had any work done to them as if yet. Great to see the range of products that are contained within it and I think a lot of people might be surprised as well that there's quite a few subcategories or the whole kind of second section of the, the salt reduction targets looking at food consumed outside the home, so kind of food to go, takeaways, things like that. I think looking at the food service side of salt reduction um, is obviously a whole different podcast on its own. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people would be quite surprised that it's not just food manufacturers that will be looking at these targets, but also the food service sector as well. But for a long time, they were uh, the out of home sector were, were left out of these salt targets. Yeah. The first few iterations, and you could, you know, the, the rise in in the eating out of home sector and the takeaways and stuff. It, you, you can't you can't ignore that anymore, and you need you need to bring them in line with with the progress that has been made by the food manufacturers. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as well as the crucial role that salt plays in our bodies, it also performs a multitude of essential functional roles in food production. It can be required as a preservative to reduce the growth of organisms. It helps extend shelf life and prevent food spoilage, can assist in fermentation, as well as a variety of other functions, including taste and flavour and texture. Now, as such an important and integral ingredient, the thought of altering levels can sometimes seem quite daunting to food manufacturers. Now, sure, seaweeds are a manufacturer of a Amazing range of seaweed products from everything from pestos and tapenades to seaweed based snacks, including their, their snacking cluster and chips. And they were successful in acquiring funding to support reformulation of their chip products through our Reformulate Challenge Fund. Now, Keith, we touched on some of the functional properties there of salt in products. How have you found reformulating the salt in your products and have you faced any challenges when you were doing that? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about us as a company, as a seaweed company, um, we, we provide a potential solution in terms of the seaweed we harvest. Um, but we also experience this issue on the other side with some of our finished products or, or seaweed chips that are a good um, issue with that. Because what we found in our category of seaweed chips is people want to snack for flavour. Um, and the biggest issue with reformulation is it's very easy to take salt out of a product, take fat out of a product, but actually you need to take your consumers and your journey with you. Absolutely. Um, and, and the biggest challenge for us is well, how do we make that improvement to our products? But in a category, especially snacking, all food is eaten for enjoyment to some degree, but particularly in snacking, how do we maintain the flavour profile? Um, and we've looked at, you know, various things from increasing the vegetable content in our product to reducing the salt content and what balance of that brings us to an area where consumers will come in that journey with us rather than some products that we've trialled in the past where the, the taste goes. So it's, for us it's all about doing this while maintaining the taste and I think that's probably going to be a common um, factor across the food industry. Um, it's great making changes but you've got to bring consumers with you. But can I ask you when you can start to consider reformulation, Keith, what was your main driver then? Was it from a kind of 
retailer request or was it a, a company um, a company aim to look at the public health of your products or front of pack labelling? What was the main driver for you to consider reformulation? When we first developed, and I'm going to stick to the chip products, um, we, we focused a lot on taste because we're introducing seaweed, something new into the market, and we, we realised that people's first encounter with the product had to taste great. And then we positioned the product as a better for you product. And recently, you know, we've had the new HFSS, high fat, salt and sugar laws come in. And we noticed that our products very narrowly missed out. So we were on the wrong side of that boundary. And that was a trigger point for us to say, hang on, we want to be a really tasty but better for you snack. We should be the right side of that boundary. So that started the process. And then we looked at it and said, actually, we can get to the right side, we can be compliant, but is that enough? And actually, we've started looking at the salt reduction as a second stage to say, yeah, we can technically store on the right side of the HFSS, we make one small adjustment, but actually we bring salt reduction in as well. We feel that's the right thing to do, to move our products on the journey of being um, better for you and within that category. So government legislation was the first point that kicked it off, but then we've taken it further since then. And I think that really just shows that all businesses will have their own drivers for wanting to reduce sodium, as you say, from meeting industry targets like the HFSS. And obviously that's something that's going to grow in the coming years in Scotland as um, any potential legislation for up here um, comes into force. Some people may want to look at front of pack labelling, maybe wanting to bring products from a, a red um, down into amber or green, or they might simply just want to improve the health of their recipes. What I would like to say to anyone listening as a, if, as a Scottish food business, if they want any help or support in checking their products against the current range of industry targets, please get in contact with the Reformulation for Health team and we'll be able to assist you with that. Now, when considering reducing sodium in products, there's a wide variety of methods, each with their own pros and cons. Many businesses um, automatically think about reducing or replacing, but other techniques can help reduce sodium including using other flavours to give the perception of saltiness or enhance the natural flavours, altering the distribution of salt crystals to change where the salt dissolves in your mouth, or even looking at different sizes of salt crystals in recipes. Now, as an industry, we often talk about gradual sodium reduction and health by stealth in terms of reformulation. And I think that can work very, very well in food service settings, as we were talking about with the salt targets. But that often comes with increased costs of product analysis and changes to labels and packaging each time you make a slight reduction for food manufacturers. And one of the most popular methods that we're now seeing is for sodium reduction is replacement with salt alternatives. And I'm delighted to have Greg here from Peacock Salts. Now Peacock Salt is based in the beautiful Air Coast and recently received funding from our Reformulate Challenge Fund to assist in their reformulation project. Greg, do you mind telling me a little bit about your business and your, most importantly, amazing new product? Yes, indeed. So, as you said, we are based on the Ayrshire coast. I'm very lucky to look out of my office and see the sea, um, which is, uh, you know, uh, not so good in the winter, but in the summer is uh, is absolutely beautiful. Um, so, we are the UK's largest distributor of salt products. So, we work across all sorts of different. Um, areas. So we do winter de-icing, we go into fish processing, um, water treatment, um, but and of course food, which is a, a growing area for us. Um, at the end of 2019, based on sort of conversations I think we'd, we'd, we'd had with our customers, 
um, as well as uh, the, the changing guidelines, we decided that we would embark on a project to uh, look at uh, low sodium or reduced sodium alternatives. Um, so to that end, we took on a graduate um, to help us work through the um, the myriad different products that were available and um, then uh, helping us through testing. So what we did is we we did work through all sorts of products, including you know, potassium, magnesium. Um, we looked at some seaweed products some malt extracts. Um, and I think the key for us was always to, to find something that was um, of a reasonable cost, but also I think most importantly for the food industry didn't impact on either the taste or the texture of products. Um, so after uh, about 10 months worth of work in conjunction with University College Dublin, we came up with some blends that we decided that we would uh, then take on to sensory testing. And what were the main challenges that you faced then when you were developing that, Greg? Was it any, was it anything that stands out as as a kind of challenge that you would you would want to give any advice on? I think you know can can consider consider the agreement the ingredients carefully in terms of where you'll end up with cost. There were some ingredients that we looked at that actually were quite promising but were prohibitively expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think talk to your customers and ask them actually what is it they're after Um, and don't ever think it's a one size fits all I think is probably (laughs) the the biggest thing that we sort of that we learned I think we sort of knew it at the beginning but I think we 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 learned it um, how important that is as as we went through the process. Do you mind just letting us know in terms of kind of if you're able to in terms of kind of percentage sodium reduction what is your new product kind of looking at compared to traditional salt or sodium? Again, I think one of the things that we learned as as we went through is that every customer is slightly different. So I think um, one of the things that we decided to do is that we will offer three blends basically off the shelf that will offer a 20, 30 and 40 percent reduction. But I think we That's strongly true. believe that most of the work will come with working to customers to, to their exact specification to find out what type of sodium reduction they want, but also what type of blend they want. So actually, for most of our customers, it will be a bespoke offering. OK, and in terms of the your kind of lower sodium range, then is that just a straight swap or would you imagine people using it in different ratios with their existing recipe? Our understanding at the moment, and we are learning as we go along, but generally it seems to be a straight swap. But I think that will vary from customer to customer, depending whether they're, you know, in bakery or dairy um, within the meat industry. I think it will be different for different products. So it may be so we may have a customer, for example, who we deliver six or seven, six or seven different blends into because they're making multiple products. Yeah. And you, you mentioned a few different sectors of the food industry there. Are you finding that you're getting um, involvement across the food industry or is there any specific sectors that you're working with more closely? I think um, we, we sort of have very good uh, links within the fish industry, fish processing, fish curing industry. So we've we've done quite a lot of work there. But actually one of the, the most pleasing things, I think, is the engagement that we're getting 
with you know small, medium, and large customers um, across the industry. So I think you know fish and dairy seem to certainly be two areas where we're we're very engaged at an early point. But we are having you know people ready meals, um, pizzas, for example. Mm-hmm. We have a, a a lot of interest there. That's fantastic. I mean, you've ticked off quite a lot of the categories that Sonia mentioned earlier <laughs> from the salt reduction targets. <laughs> But I might be interested just in probing a wee bit more there, Greg. Yeah, of course, you can, yeah. With, with yourself as well, Keith. In terms of health by stealth, I think um, some businesses deliberately choose to inform their customers that they're making changes. They might publicise it on their website or on their social media. They might want to make a front pack health claim that there's a reduction in, in salt in the product. Is that something that you, I suppose, more to yourself, Keith, is that something that you would aim to do to your consumers or do you think you would rather just health by sales? Well it's something we we haven't made a final decision on yet Uh, we're in the middle of our sort of process that we are doing consumer taste trials uh, Mm -hmm. to see if the consumers can notice the difference between Mm -hmm. our existing product and our new product and I think the outcome of that is going to be really intriguing. I think it does open up the messaging to consumers. Um, Yeah. You know, we, most of our consumers are buying snacks uh, for enjoyment. But if you can say this product tastes fantastic, first of all, and mm-hmm. then second of all, by the way, is lower in fat and lower in salt, um, that would be very welcome from consumers. So we haven't made a final decision on that yet, and a lot of it will come out from our research. Um, but it does, in the sort of wider marketing tools that we've got, it will mm-hmm. certainly play a role in it. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. What about you, Greg, with businesses you've been working with? Have you been finding that they're keen to promote their salt reduction or are they doing it more stealthily? A bit of a mixed bag, but certainly, um, they, you know, the, the end user doesn't always necessarily communicate their strategy mm-hmm. to us. But certainly when they do talk to us, a lot of it is about reducing the salt and, and not making claims about it i think it varies when you're talking to somebody who has a long established product you know that people mm-hmm. are used to how it tastes you know so yeah. if you're a can of baked beans you know the, the core thing is about them tasting the same you know texturally being the same um and they might not want to um you know make those claims but it does it it does seem very mixed depending on um, who we're talking to. So as well as sodium alternatives, obviously, um, Greg was touching on there, there's a wide variety of other innovative ingredients that can be helped to reduce sodium in products from malts and yeasts and flavour enhancers to amazing Scottish seaweed. And obviously we have Keith on our podcast here, um, who not only as is looking at reducing the, the salt in his chip snacks, but also as a seaweed producer. Now, Keith, do you mind just explaining a little bit to us about your seaweeds and the health benefits of using seaweed? Sure. Well, seaweed's one of the most nutritionally rich plants on the planet. Um, and the Scottish waters offer a fantastic place for natural seaweed to grow. Um, the great thing about growing seaweed is it has got zero inputs. So in terms of environmentally, it doesn't require any fresh water, any land, feed or fertilizers. It can grow up to a centimetre a day. And it absorbs an incredible amount of nutrition from the ocean. Hence, it's very, very high in minerals. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about seaweed, we're really talking about an umbrella of lots of different plants, um, all with very, very different characteristics. It's a bit like talking about vegetables. So some you'll eat for flavour, the very high in umami flavour, this fifth flavour that's yeah. known as yum. Um, some 
that are great. It's really nutrient dense, fantastic for you. And there are actually some species when you dry them and you mill them into a powder, work very well as a salt replacement. Now, as a salt replacement, seaweed is very much on the sort of premium side of people looking for a natural organic plant based solution. Um, but it also delivers some enhanced benefits. So, you know, even a very small amount of seaweed, the equivalent you do as a salt replacement, would deliver your daily dose of iodine. Now, that's a nutrient. We're one of the few countries that don't iodize salt, as a matter of course. And it's and iodine is a big issue in the UK and is only growing in terms of iodine deficiencies. The more we move to a plant-based diet, the less iodine we're getting from the sources of milk, fish, etc., where you find iodine. So we can actually offer a product here that helps replace salt, but also deliver iodine, fiber, antioxidants into the diet. Um, so seaweed has a real unique benefit there. And we've done some trials in different product groups and also in bakery, which is a section we, we sell into um, where we've proven that seaweed actually can extend the shelf life of bakery products by two to three days. Wow, um, so tough. it's a really interesting ingredient. And, and I think we're only trying to we're only scratching the surface of what it can do at the moment. Uh, yeah. And as more and more research goes on, we're going to find more and more applications in this area. So you touched there on bakery. Is there other kind of areas of the food industry that are exploring seaweed or do you find in terms of the flavour of the CB products at bakeries best suited? No, we, we advise um, essentially mixing seaweed in as 50-50% with salt. So right, seaweed, okay. um, the species we, we particularly sell as a salt replacement, it's one-tenth the amount of sodium in it. Um, so right. therefore you get quite a large reduction. Um, but we don't necessarily say 100% seaweed, so it's that blend. Uh -huh. um, and again, you know, in areas of processed meats, um, and also, I think a really interesting area for salt replacement is in new vegan analogs of meat, where mm -hmm. actually you've created a vegan product as an analog for a burger. Or so, but actually, often these products can be very high in salt and yeah. seaweed provides a plant based natural solution back into that product. So we're seeing more and more in terms of people looking at seaweed, not just in terms of salt replacement, but in terms of the wider sort of offer it makes in terms of putting it in food products um, and certainly seaweed already is in stealthily a lot of food products you buy carrageen is a thickener so mm -hmm. there's a lot of different areas where you can either showcase seaweed and show it off as part of your product or add it by stealth if you like to give these sort of nutritional fortification and uh, that salty flavor can i ask um just for anyone listening who's who's interested keith um whereabouts in scotland are you based and in terms of your products how seasonal is your seaweed harvesting is it is it a year-round manufacturing or really good question so we harvest all our seaweed from the very north coast of scotland around the keithness wick area okay. uh, around 40 kilometers of shoreline that um, we have um, licensed to harvest from um, we do that because it's really the, the cleanest waters available um, and a great sort of tidal exchange is a perfect environment for seaweed to grow we do harvest all year round Okay. Each species has a season, usually three to four months. So we harvest 10 different species, all of different functions. Okay. Um, and, and that, because each species has a different season, it means we get mm -hmm. to harvest all year round. And what we do when we harvest the seaweed is we drag it back to our factory uh, and then we air dry the seaweed. And seaweed is a lot of water in it. So, for example, if we get 100 kilos of seaweed, we might get 15 kilos of this incredibly nutrient-dense dried seaweed 
But at that stage, it's shelf stable, it's ambient, and we dry it and then we sell it all year round. Um, so it's, the harvesting is for each species is seasonal, um, but we can sell that species all year round once we have it dried. It's very shelf stable, long shelf life product at that time. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm still amazed at how quickly you were seeing some of the seaweed grows up to one centimetre a day. It must be. Yeah, um, and, and faster. Yeah. <laughs> OK, well, now that we're kind of coming to the to the end of the podcast, um, I hope you agree that we've given quite a few different salt solutions to consider when people are thinking about salt reduction. But before we finish off, I don't know if you all want to give me just one final piece of advice or a top tip to food manufacturers listening who might be thinking about starting on a salt reduction journey. So I don't know, Sonia, if you want to jump in first there. Oh, I have to go first, do I? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I applaud those who are looking to, to to start the kind of salt reduction journey. Um, you know, whilst it's a voluntary programme now, there is no like, you know, there's, there's no real pressure from the government to do that. So the fact that you're doing it off your own backs, I think, is is really, really, really well done. You, so I guess maybe my one tip is to continue with that kind of um, reductions through stealth, unobtrusive reductions. Do it slowly but surely, just like Keith and Greg have been saying, you know, those gradual reductions to bring your consumers in line um, on the same journey with you so that they don't notice that difference in salt because it can it can be done and it has been done. Fantastic. And Greg, have you got any any top tips for people listening? I would say, you know, don't be scared um of reducing sodium i think there is people have a lot of fear of changing their recipes that there's a you know the the, the risk um you know in in terms of it doesn't work consumer response um i would say you know talk to us or talk to somebody um test try things develop products we can you know we, we're developing a scheme where we can help people test we can support them through that but i think you know um the thing is, don't be scared of it. You can do it. Um, and there are lots of people out there who will help you to do it as well. Finally, Keith? Yeah, Greg, I touched on one of the, the key things. Obviously, when you start, look at all the options, do your trials, but test it with your consumers. You know, that I think is the most important point. I think a lot of a lot of companies with existing products will be nervous and, and test and test and test with your consumers as much as possible to, uh, to make sure you've got the right solution. Now, one thing I just want to um, highlight to people listening um, in support of Salt Awareness Week, we are actually hosting a webinar on the 17th of March at 2pm with input from a variety of industry experts, including Sonia, looking at looking at salt reduction in food manufacturing, as well as exploring various ingredient alternatives to help reduce salt levels and help food manufacturers meet industry targets. For more information for the webinar, please visit www.fdfscotland.org.uk and keep an eye out on our social media for updates. Now, I hope that we've given you food for thought on how to reduce the sodium content of your recipes and alternative ingredient solutions like we've heard from Greg and from Keith. For food businesses within Scotland who are interested in starting a reformulation project, please get in touch with the Reformulation for Health team at reformulation at fdfscotland.org.uk. And thank you so much for the input from Sonia, Greg and Keith today and for taking part and, and explaining more about their businesses and the opportunities that they have. And finally, just thank you to you for listening to this podcast from FDF Scotland. 
You can find out more about our work. And if you're a food and drink business, how to join us at www.fdfscotland.org.uk.